chapter 127, Psalm 127. We are continuing today in our series, The Imperfect Family. We've been in this series for a couple of weeks, and uh, we are beginning to pivot now into some specific seasons and stages of life. And, and even just in our theme of worship, of desperation for the Lord, desperation for His Spirit's power, desperation to know Him as Father, to be able to draw near, desperation to be able to know that Christ can be magnified through our lives, that, that our lives would represent the glory of His life, His death, His resurrection and ascension. I don't know about you, but I find myself just wanting to encounter the Lord more when we have times of worship like that. And I think that our passage today is going to continue to direct us along that vein. And, and here's my concern. My concern is, is that there's, there's a couple here that would, would, might hear a message like this or you would hear something like it's a sermon on children and youth and that your mind does one of two things. It kind of checks out and just says we're not that season or stage of life right now. That, that's maybe a day to come. I have no idea. I'm not even thinking about that. Or that you look at it and you say, I'm going to hear something that is going to heap guilt and condemnation on me. That is not our aim. Because what's interesting to me is, that's not what the gospel says to you. The gospel equips you for life and godliness. The truth that through Christ we can draw near to a throne of grace for mercy and grace in our time of need. It says that we can be equipped for seasons that are even to come. The gospel says to those who may have regret and shame in parenting, as they look back at what seems like a season lost, and children that you may not even be in contact with today, the gospel ministers to you to be able to tell the stories and the triumphs of His grace and not your goodness. I, I want us to have that perspective as a church. That there's not anything that we have to, to shy away from in talking about as a church. I think as we look at Psalm 127 today, we're going to see application for all of us. While, while my uh, comments will be directed specifically toward parents and children and teens, that there is actually grace for all of us in this passage today. So this is not a day to check out. This is a day to lean into the Word of God. In the same way that every time that we gather is. It's a time to lean into the Word of God, to, to glean and get from it all that it has from us. Because I think what we're going to see today is how wonderful the depth and breadth of God's Word is in its application to our life. In these five verses, I don't even have time to get to all of the application points that we would be able to get to. And there's something wonderful and rich about God's divine inspired word to us to be able to so perfectly train us in righteousness, equip us for godliness, show us the way that we are called to live for his glory. It's wonderful what we're about to encounter in the word of God. So let's anticipate together what he'll have for us. Father, would you please, through your spirit, speak to our hearts today. Bring comfort where needed. Bring rest where needed. Bring 
life where there is death in our hearts. Your word is powerful enough to do that. And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I have a question for you. As, as we're coming upon a, a season of travel in the summer, I'm just curious, do you have a particularly favorite road trip song? Is there a song that your family enjoys that, that when you get into the car, it's the first one that, that goes on? Yesterday, Stephanie was reviewing my notes, and she came across a part, and I, I made a comment. I said, of the modern technology of DVD, and she said, DVDs are not modern technology. So somebody had, uh, there was a young parent at, at the golf scramble yesterday as we were out with uh, different folks throughout the church and, and had a great time yesterday. And there was a young mom there, and, and I said, does your car have screens in it? She said, yes, it, it only has one. Oh, I can't believe your husband doesn't provide for you. It only has one. That's so sad. Tragic. I said, well, is it, is it driven by a DVD player? She said, yes. I said, okay, I'm going to count that as modern technology. She says, oh, no. This young mom says to me, no, no, no. On showroom floors now, every single seat has a screen in the back of it and Netflix attached to it so Stephanie was right that's an outdated technology I'm glad she reviewed my notes so I don't look like an idiot in front of the church you know there's a pressure in the midst of parenting isn't there there's a moment where you, you get into the car and it's, is this technology enough? Is this, is this going to be enough for this road trip? And our family has some, some favorite songs like Life is a Highway, the Cars version, not Cochran's version. The Cars edition is just better sonically. Uh, fight me if you want on that, that's fine. Uh, the, the Cars version is better, so Life is a Highway, you turn that on and you're just ready to go down the highway, aren't you? And, or maybe something like this. We have a DVD as a family that was uh, a few years ago actually stolen out of one of our vehicles. But this DVD had a particular song on it. And I'm not going to name the song or anything like that. It came from like an old Disney holiday DVD. But every time that we put that song in, that song plays and all of us are immediately in vacation road trip mode. Does your family have anything like that? I hope so, actually. I hope that you're building those kinds of memories together. But, but the point of this is not to like shame anybody if you don't have a road trip song. It's just to say, hey, let's, let's find them out together. I would love to hear what your road trip songs are. Not in this particular moment, but maybe a little bit later on today. I, I love hearing those types of things. But do you realize that Psalms gives us road trip songs? Psalm 127 is a road trip song. It's called a psalm of ascent. Now, this may be looked at in a variety of ways. It can be looked at at ways where you're saying, well, what are we ascending to? Well, perhaps it was uh, just looking at the 15 psalms representing the 15 steps that went up to the temple in Jerusalem. That's certainly one way to look at it. Many scholars see it that way. Maybe it's the, the songs that are going to be sung by families as they go from the outer regions into Jerusalem for a yearly celebration and festival. It could be looked at as either one of those. O. Palmer Robertson might kind of combine it and help us look at it like this. There seems to be no good reason not to understand the phrase, a psalm of ascent, as arising out of both the pilgrimage annually to Jerusalem... 
and the return to Jerusalem from exile. Now, if you were here for our Hosea series, you, you know about exile and Israel's past. If, if you were here with us for our series in the book of Daniel, you know about exile and Jerusalem's past. The psalmist gives us road trip songs. But I wonder this morning, what are the songs that we sing over one another as a family? Our particular passage is from Solomon. Solomon is the, the author of this. His, his dad, David, is one of the more famous, prolific authors in the Psalms. But Solomon actually wrote this. So we know that there is wisdom for us to understand as Solomon is counted as one of the wisest men in history. And as we think about where this kind of comes in our series, we realize that the first week we were looking at the church as God's chosen family. Last week we looked at the family throughout the Old and New Testament, and this week as we begin to focus on seasons and stages of life, children and youth, we're going to see that children and youth are wonder-filled and energized opportunities for us as a church. We're also going to get a little bit of a preview, a taste of a series that we're going to begin in the summer as we go through the Psalms this summer. Summer in the Psalms, Modern Problems, Ancient Solutions. So as we read through this, this psalm together, these five verses, let's have in mind what it is that God has for us today. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and Go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame. When he speaks with his enemies in the gate. There are many passages that I could have chosen today that give instruction throughout scripture. That give instruction to parents. That give instruction to husbands and wives. That give instruction to children. But I, I want us, to, in the same way that we were just worshiping, to kind of step back from the day-to-day -day of life a little bit. And be re-envisioned today as a church for why God gives us children in the first place. Solomon, the one who penned this psalm, himself a builder, himself a king, a ruler, or a watchman, himself a father, is closely, it's also closely tied to the, the, the psalm that follows, focusing on the, the celebration of the family. And, and the family is something that we want to celebrate. I announced something a few weeks ago. I talked about children being gathered together with us here as a church are not a distraction. They are not something to be overcome. They are the future of this church. And so as a gathering of people, not only those who are currently parents or currently have children in their household, we need to be re-envisioned for why God gives us children as a church to begin with. 
It's something we celebrate at baby dedication. We, we have affirmations of the parents. We have affirmations in, in welcoming those children into our congregation. Children are a gift to us as a church. There was a day I can remember that we were going through a building project here in our, our 30, going on 38 years of history as a church. We were in the midst of a building project and we joked about having stroller valet as a part of our our building fund project where we would valet park your stroller and we had to make sure that the aisles were just wide enough so that enough strollers could fit through. What a wonderful chaotic day that was because those children, many of whom now are leaders in this church, are a gift and a blessing to the church. But how do we get there? How do we get to that kind of perspective? Well, just like in worship, we begin by understanding that we are dependent on the Lord. What Psalm 127 points us to, that we depend on the Lord in working and in watching. We depend on the Lord in working and in watching. The opening passage says that unless the Lord is the one who builds the house. Now, this is not some kind of like... Carrie Underwood theology of Jesus take the wheel. We are not hands off as parents. We are not free range as parents. Your children aren't chickens, but some of you might be laying eggs as parents. Uh, Actually, what I want to say is that was Seth Greer's line. No, that's not true. He told me I should say it though. We don't take our hands off. We're not just laying back and saying, well, unless the Lord builds it, it's not going to happen. Unfortunately, though, there are times that we have that mentality. We can become so overwhelmed by life. We can become so overwhelmed by the things that happen in this life that we give our efforts and our energies to the wrong things. I'm reminded of seasons a few weeks ago at our our night of worship. I shared with those that were gathered here that I have fallen asleep to some of the finest ceilings of Central Florida. I fall asleep to some of the finest ceilings in Central Florida because on weekends we were at the church most of the weekend. And on Friday nights oftentimes I was kind of falling asleep counting the light fixtures in the ceiling at the church. I remember one, it was magnificent, it was the shape of a dove with all these fluorescent lights. I I have those memories as a child of being gathered together with the church. But I also remember this, some of those were parenting conferences. And I knew this, I learned this at an early age, lay low for a few weeks. Lay low for a few weeks. Don't act the fool for a few days. Mom and dad are watching. They're intent, they're focused on this right now. Be stupid in about 21 days. It's sad but true. My own parents would say this to this day. That, that, that became a rhythm and a pattern. And, and my goal here today is not to say TruthQuest children or those who are in Bridge 46 or those who are in a live age, be good for a few weeks. Actually, what I want us to be is envisioned for a lifetime to come. I want us to be envisioned for a lifetime to come. Are there ways that we may need to move from our understanding of what parenting can or even according to God's ways should look like? 100%. My oldest son is 22. I'm 22 years old as a parent. I do not have it all figured out. Every day something new happens. Every day something 
changes in our family dynamic that challenges not my children, but me. I have to be a dependent parent. I have to be dependent on the Lord in working to build this house. The household that is, that is ours at our, our street address, that is ours under my family's name. I am to be a part of building that. Notice that what he says is that if the Lord doesn't build the house, those who build it, in other words, there is work for us to do, but we are in participation with what the Lord is doing. And we have to be dependent on Him. How often do we walk into a day with the blueprints of our own plans and designs for the day that in, at, by breakfast you know it's not going to go like that? Is that my children's fault? No. No. I want the Lord to be the one who built the house. Now that doesn't mean that I don't go into the day with a plan or anything like that. But it does say that I want to be dependent to listen for when the Lord says move and listen for when the Lord says sit. How many of us as families would benefit from the perspective of a dependency on the Lord first and foremost? Now I'm talking broadly to families here. I'm most specifically speaking to moms and dads. But children can learn this dependency as well. Do I model that for them more than I model my own ways? Sadly, no. That has not always been the case. See, our labors are in vain apart from the enabling and sustaining power of God. Psalm 127 reminds us that as we labor to build and as we watch to protect, as we toil to eat, even as we saw in the fall in the garden, as we bring forth children for blessing, our ultimate dependence is not in our efforts. Our dependence is on the Lord. I wonder today if I were to ask your children, if they were able to articulate at whatever age or stage of life that they're in, do your parents depend on the Lord? what they would say. Now, I don't say that to be a shocking, uh, a shocking question or something that is intended to challenge you, but some of them had funny answers, and here's what they had to say in truth. No, I'm teasing. I didn't do that. <laughs> Allie, that'd be a great video idea, though. It'd take kids say to the next level, wouldn't it? How many of you as couples just kind of tensed up like, <laughs> did that? Were we here in the last few weeks that they caught our kids? I'm glad we're laughing together. That's the intention. Let's be real with one another. We all have those moments, don't we? One of my most frightening things that would ever be say to, said to me for my children was, you'll never believe what your, insert child names here, said today in TruthQuest. Any parent ever had that experience? Oh, it's a joy. It's a joy, isn't it? We all have those moments. And, and what does it expose? It exposes what we're depending on. It exposes something about my heart. At times, mine and Stephanie's heart. I, I benefit so much from her perspective. Not just reading my notes on Saturday mornings. But over the years, I've benefited so much from her perspective because... By God's design, I'm not building this house by myself. 
No parent here is doing that either. You may think, well, I, I may be a single mom or dad. If you're a part of this church, you are not building a house by yourself. In, your, in our community groups, oh, please, single moms, gain the perspective of men in community groups. There is a benefit to you there. Single dads, gain the perspective of women in community groups. There is benefit for you there. There is the goodness of God there and how kind of him to provide through the community of the church for our good and for his glory. So what are you building in your house? What are you protecting? What, what are the things that you give your time toward drawing hard lines as a watchman and saying, I, I'm not going to go there. We're not going to let that into our house. I've been amazed at how convictions on screen time can change as children are further and further removed from a stroller. We all have that temptation, don't we? The temptation to silence in a car for long trips. The temptation to say, I need some convenient moments right now. Can I just confess? Parenting is not convenient. It's glorious, but it's not convenient. I've never scheduled one of my kids' cars' breakdowns. I've never scheduled one of those moments where there's a disagreement in the house. If you figured out how to do that, write a book and show us what scripture passage that comes from so the rest of us can grow and learn. See, our homes, as diverse as they are, should have some common aims, shouldn't they? The highest of them being to glorify God. But here's where it's important for us to make sure that that aim rightly orders our lives. I might ask it like this. If, unless the Lord adds to the church, we evangelize in vain. Unless the Lord teaches the class, we prepare in vain. Unless the Lord guides the ministry, we serve in vain. These are sobering words for me as a pastor here. It's something important to us as an eldership, our deacons, praying that the Lord would guide our efforts. How about this? Unless the Lord restores the family, we counsel in vain. Unless the Lord blesses the writing project, we compose in vain. How often have we sacrificed our family for what we see as the greater good of that work project? That thing that is due the next morning. Unless the Lord expands the business, we mark it in vain. Begin to see how comprehensive the application of this scripture is. It's certainly speaking to families. But it's speaking to our hearts as individuals. Unless the Lord protects us on the mission field, we travel in vain. Unless the Lord guards us in the city, we secure ourselves in vain. Unless the Lord watches over our children, we care for them in vain. You know, it's a call for us to not live a life that is overconfident in our own efforts, isn't it? 
it kind of puts us all at a posture, not of on our heels, but on our knees. Unless the Lord does it, it ain't happening. You know, the psalmist reconciles this in other ways where it says, Lord, why do you let the righteous prosper? Oh, we know those moments, don't we? But that's not an excuse for us as a church to move away from a dependence on the Lord. Parents, your children are gifts of God to draw you into a deeper dependence on Him. You are a gift of God in their life to draw them away from a dependence on themselves. Kind of lifts our vision, doesn't it? Might even give us a different perspective on whatever happened this morning at breakfast. Might give us a different perspective on the things that we want to talk about this afternoon on the way home from church. We want to be a people who are dependent on the Lord for His building and His watching over us. As the passage goes on, we're going to see that depending on the Lord is important rather than worrying or overworking. Verse 2 of Psalm 127, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So we are to depend on the Lord instead of worrying or overworking. I can recall the way that Stephanie told me for each one of our children that she was pregnant. We have three children. Uh, this particular moment happened for us as a family four times. We had a miscarriage at one point <clears throat> just before Ella. But I remember the unique way that she told me with each one of her pregnancies. Oh, it was, it was wonderful. One of them in particular that I remember, I had been uh, overnight uh, at, down in Miami working on a video project for something for the church for a celebration conference that we had. And it was kind of this annual conference where we would just all go away together. It, it reminds me of, of the gatherings that these songs are kind of singing in, in the songs of a sense as you're going away together to gather with the people of the Lord and just rejoice in His goodness for a weekend. It was a wonderful time. But there was this video project that we were putting together for it. And I was down in Miami. And I had taken an early morning flight to come back to Orlando. And as I got home, bleary-eyed from an all-nighter working on this video. Bleary-eyed from a flight that, like, a 45-minute jumper from Miami. You're not falling asleep on. Also, like, I don't exactly fit on the road in order to do that. So I'm coming into the house bleary-eyed to the news that Stephanie is pregnant with Ella. And it was a moment of rejoicing and fear. This is our third child at this point. Fourth pregnancy, third child, a, a moment of rejoicing and fear. And here's what was common about my response to the news every time that Stephanie was pregnant. For some reason, I started working all of these extra hours. Now by that point in my career, I was salary, so I actually got cheaper by the minute. If you're, on a, if you're a salaried employee, if you are overworking, you get cheaper by the minute. I just want to say that for the glory of God so you can every once in a while come home. I would just start working crazy extra hours. 
as if that was just going to like all of a sudden provide what my family needed for another mouth to feed. I have no idea why that was my response. Maybe it's just this sense that I wanted to have of control to provide for my family. Maybe it's just this sense of, of I don't know what to do in this moment. I'm, I'm rejoicing, I'm excited, but uh, well, maybe we got some work to do. Perhaps moms and dads that have walked through those moments together, you know that feeling. How's this going to work? Or you're trying to get the timing just right to where one's out of diapers as you're putting a new one into diapers because that's what the budget can handle. I think there's right in planning, but God has always been the one that has provided for my family. He's the one that's given ability. But man, every time I attempted to take over the ability for that provision. Psalm 127 calls me back to something greater than that. Depending on the Lord instead of worrying or overworking. Depending on him alone. In his book, Crazy Busy, Kevin DeYoung speaks to uh, tired, weary, bleary-eyed parents when he calls out a truth that we too often ignore. Parenting can be the last bastion of legalism. I did just a quick Google search to say what are the current number of parenting types in the world today. Too many to count. It's somewhere between four and four thousand based on your child and your and your spouse's makeup. But you know the, the one thing that I never saw in there? Biblical parenting. As if God's word doesn't have something to say to the family he created for his glory. It was the most oft ignored. There was, there was one that I saw where it was a scaffolding type of parenting. And then, of course, from my days in youth ministry, I remember the helicopter parents. And then now what I call free-range parents, which apparently is an actual name for parents. But I never came across the phrase biblical parenting. Parenting can be one of the last bastions of legalism. I wonder at times if we don't give in to this legalism because it gives us a sense of control. It gives us a sense of, I can help guide the steps of this individual, maybe even help them not make the mistakes that I did. No, no, what we're setting them up for is a whole new set of tragedies if we don't base our parenting on the Word of God. It's a beautiful moment when we have baby dedication. It's a... It's an act of dependence on the Lord. It's not one of the sacraments of the church, but it's one of my favorite things that we do as a church because it's a declaration of dependence, not in our own ability, not in our own understanding, not even in our own experiences that maybe we're going to begin to project onto our child trying to protect them from what we experienced or, or set them up to have a better life. No, Scripture actually speaks a better word than either of those things. And it says not to worry, not to overwork, but to depend on the Lord. But there's a test coming for those moments of child dedication. About 15 years later, when they drive off in a vehicle by themselves with their own permit. Maybe it's 18 years later when they move out of the house to go to college. Maybe it's 20 some odd years later when, when they walk down the aisle 
their wedding day. Perhaps it's as they move out of state to be a part of their career. There's going to come a test of that moment of dedication to the Lord. Where you'll look back and you'll say, I remember this sense of desperation on the day that you were dedicated. But my question for us as parents is, do we live in the good of that desperation every day? My fear is, for us as a church, we've lost some perspective on that. You know, I, I, I hold myself, I think it's a temptation that we can all hold ourselves to higher standards than we can even accomplish. We, we want to consume knowledge. We want to try to have the best. We want to try to be the best. We want to offer our children the best. We want to have, we want them to experience what we would deem as better than we experienced it. And so we look to all this wisdom of the world rather than looking to God's word for the wisdom that we need for our children. He's the one who created them. He's the one who in the heavens gave them the soul that they have. Gave them the unique strengths and weaknesses, the talents, the perspective, the wisdom that they'll have. The personality that they'll have that will just mess with you in ways you could have never dreamed. He is the source. I wonder at times if our own perspective of what is a, a good family or what is a, a decent family or a normal family or a good family or maybe even just adequate. I wonder what our perspective of what those types of families are is actually informed by. My fear is it's too many things and this kind of amalgamation of all these things in the world that come together to create this distorted picture of the family. The, the relationship between a mom and a dad and their children. We have to be dependent on the Lord so that we don't worry or overwork. Lastly, from our passage today, we have to depend on the Lord for the blessing that our family will receive. We have to depend on the Lord for blessing our family. You know, as parents, as individuals who may be in the uh, workforce, isn't it kind that we see that God is not here stripping away the value of work? God is not here taking away the value of work. God is not here saying that parenting is just going to be easy. What he's saying is it's going to be deep and meaningful work. And how many of us, that's exactly what we want to give ourselves to. We want to give ourselves to a meaningful work. But there is going to come a point where our understanding of meaningful work will come to a very weak and weary hand, won't it? We can only sustain ourselves so long by saying, look what I can do. Look what in my work gives me meaning and purpose. Now we have to have something far greater than that to understand the meaning and purpose of work. And this psalm places a special emphasis on the blessing of children. But I, I want us to step back and once again see that this is the depth and breadth and richness of Scripture that even if you are in a season where your children have moved out, perhaps the Lord has never blessed you with children, that your work is meaningful to Him. Your participation in the lives of family is meaningful to Him. It is God who gives meaning to our work. It is God who relieves us of a need to worry 
but he calls us to labor for his glory. Now, in the midst of placing this special emphasis on children, we see this in verses 3 through 5, that children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. I've heard plenty of sermons where they talk about that a quiver means five. You should have five children. This is the minimum number of children for the glory of God that you should have. And I realize I have three. We don't have five arrows. We just have three big ones. Our quiver is full. And so this is where we have to be very careful not to extract out an application that becomes an expectation for something that's not actually what God's Word is saying. What we're acknowledging is children are a gift, but arrows in the hand of a warrior, a heritage from the Lord. We've already seen that the Lord is the one who builds, the Lord is the one who watches, and the Lord is the one who gives a rich heritage. He gives a rich heritage to us. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. It hit me the other day. Uh, my son Caleb is 22. He's going to graduate college this December. And I don't know why, but for some reason, he, he is wanting to go into, into theme parks. Uh, but I don't, what I don't know why is, for some reason, I've always had in mind that that means that he'll be here in Orlando. As if the rest of the world doesn't have theme parks. I don't know why that's the case. And this is a bit of a confession. And he and I had a conversation uh, some time ago where, where I was talking to him and I just said, I just had this crazy realization that there may come a day where for your job and for your career and what I really do believe that God has called him to, not only a spiritual gift, but what he's been trained in in college, that you may move, move away from home. And it was this like simultaneously invigorating and frightening moment. M many parents have experienced this. This was kind of my moment of realization, like, huh, you may move someday. I've never really thought about it. You know what I'd like to do with Caleb as an arrow? I'd like to make sure that he's shaped and prepared rightly. I, I trust by God's grace that that's been the case in his experience up to this moment, but I know those moments of failings. I've watched many a dad in, on wedding days. They just kind of have this dazed look on their face as it's either their son or their daughter that's getting married. And what's happening is there's this realization of, have I prepared them for everything? Have I prepared them for everything? I can assure you, you've not. But I can also assure you of this, that God's grace is big enough for everything they will encounter. May they face moments that they don't know what to do? Absolutely. May they face moments that God isn't sure of what he's doing? Absolutely not. Do you see how our dependence on the Lord works? In that moment with Caleb, I'm rejoicing with him. Man, that would be so cool. Can you imagine where God may take you? And inside in my own heart, I'm just going, don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. I look forward to hearing the adventures that God has for him. I look forward to the things that he wants to, to do through him. I look forward to hearing the ways that I failed in shaping him. Those days will come. They've begun. 
when I hear the moments where I was like, man, I missed that. I didn't think about that. Praise God. You're somewhat normal. Because I've met your parents. That's all of his grace. Now, I've been talking to parents quite a bit. Been talking to us as a church quite a bit. But this message is specifically about children and youth. Uh, may I offer just some thoughts? Somewhat a compilation from the rest of Scripture, if it's okay. Children should be teachable. That, that's the summary of it. Children should be teachable. They, you should be in a place where you are training your children to be teachable. Yes, certainly by the wisdom of the world. Yes, certainly actually in college and in school, whatever their, whatever their path may be for that, they are going to need to retain knowledge and pass tests and have a career advancement and be teachable in those ways. But what I mean is be teachable in the way that we were worshiping about this morning. God, if you're not moving, I don't want to move. So teach me and train me in the way everlasting. Not the knowledge and the wisdom of the world. Our children should be pliable. That's not just to say that they're going to go with the whim of whatever any random adult says around them. But what we're doing is we're training them to be teachable because there's going to come a day when their greatest instructor is not you, it's the Holy Spirit in their lives. We want to train our children to be teachable. That is no easy task. There's a lot of things that children can learn how to do as a part of routine and a part of this wonderful part of our creation where they retain knowledge and they learn rhythms and they learn little ways to accomplish going about their daily lives. But can I tell you that being teachable is something that has to be modeled for them and that will be the rest of their life's journey just like it is yours. We have to train our children to be teachable. So, parents, perhaps this is a helpful diagnostic. Is your, is your child teachable? This is going to all of a sudden expose all kinds of things, like talking back, like thinking that they have all of their act together. I've seen some of the smartest three-year-olds because they think they know everything. Someday they're going to be 13 when they think they know everything again. And then someday they'll be 23 when they realize we know nothing. It's a rhythm that we see in life, isn't it? But we have to be intentional in those moments of life to train a teachableness. Because frightening is the day when we will not respond to the instruction of the Lord. I've referenced it a few times. In our child dedication, we make a commitment to one another. We ask parents to, to, to stand here and affirm before the church that you will raise and train your child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. In the fear and admonition of the Lord. And then as a church, we, we come back around to that and we say that we are going to model for them a fear and admonition of the Lord. Now, I'm not sure that admonition is a word that we use much anymore. I don't come across it often. But what is an admonition? An admonition is an authoritative word. We are going to teach our children in our homes and in this church community 
that the Lord is the one who has an authoritative say over our life. This is why I say it's important for us to teach our children, to train our children to be teachable. Because we are committing to one another to raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We are teaching them by our words, by our action, by the moments that you probably don't even realize they see. Who has the authority over your life? We want to model for them who has the ultimate authority in our lives. See, it's God's word. Not ours. Not mom and dad's. Not grandpa's. Not grandma's. It's God's word that is the authoritative word. They may be the fruit of your most consistent and diligent labor. But they are matured by God because they come from him. And his intention is to use them for his glory. Isn't it amazing how all of life is out of the abundance of his grace to us as his people? If I may even get a little bit more practical just for a moment. Not only do we want to train our children to be teachable, we want to rejoice in the gifts that, he gives, that God gives them. We want to say the fruit of what we see happening in their lives. We want to be those, not just there as cheerleaders for them, as, as if we are fans on a sideline, but we are calling out good fruit, calling out good actions that are happening over them, calling them up to God's best for them in the same way that we seek to do in the community of the church. But this message this morning is not just for parents of young children, it's for all parents. Do you remember the day you stopped being a parent? Nobody does. Nobody remembers that day. I, I can recall on our wedding day, I've shared this before, that I remember having this thought of, I wonder what it looks like to honor my father and mother now. I don't stop being their child. Yes, a new household is being established, but I wonder what it looks like to honor my father and mother now. Does that mean that I have to do everything the way they've done it? No. Does that mean that I have to completely abandon everything that they've done? No. It means that the rest of my life and my posture before the Lord my posture toward them as my family. The rest of my life is the test of honoring my father and mother. It's the same for you. And, and even if your father and mother on this earth were not honorable, do you realize that that, that concept, that truth, that, that precept and principle from Scripture actually points us to something far greater than our earthly mother and father. It points us to our heavenly father. It points us to one who is greater than all of life. And so we have to wrestle with those questions. And you may say, Chris, you've given me so much to think about this morning. It's almost overwhelming and it's exhausting to think about what it looks like to be a parent. Isn't it fabulous that God chose you to be a parent? So that he could pour out the riches of his grace for you to accomplish it. Imagine how little of the grace of God you would experience without that. I don't mean that to sound demeaning to anybody sitting here today. I certainly don't mean that to sound like something for our uh, single brothers and sisters that are here. I want to continue to affirm that God has a grace for you that is different 
but it is no less sufficient for you. You may experience that his grace being poured out on you, that it is enough. While parents, moms, dads, husbands, wives, children, they experience a grace that reminds them that you are not enough. I am not enough. He is always enough. I would caution you if you parent and you feel like you're enough. You may be doing it wrong before you even get started. This is not me making fun of people that are newly married and act like they have it all figured out as, as they are pregnant with their first child. We've all encountered that couple. We've all encountered that couple that all of a sudden you realize like, you know, about eight months ago you were singing a very different song when you were arrested. We all have those moments, don't we? Let's have grace for one another in those moments. Hypocrisy will show itself. Our inability to live up to our own standards will expose itself. Our need for God's grace will expose itself. Let's be gracious to one another in those moments. See, for moms and dads here today, your call to be mom and dad, to be dependent on the Lord for your family until he returns or calls you home, I know that that sparks pain for some here today with wayward children. And, and what I'm about to say, I mean as care. But can we have a vision can we have a vision to show dependence on God to finish relying on Him? See, what may come as the end of your life without your child responding does not mean it's the end of God's redemptive plan. Welcome to a new test of dependence. We are for you as a church. Can we also, as a church, be careful in labeling wayward children? I mean, how many of us want to be defined by the things that we're struggling with and walking through today? If I were to ask for a raise of hands, I'd be shocked if even one went up. I would love to be defined by the circumstances of this day. <laughs> None of us have that. Can we be careful in talking about one another's wayward children? Can we be careful with labels like prodigals or rebels? Can we actually give more effort and energy toward reaching out with loving kindness? Toward welcoming those who are estranged as we model what Jesus does for us. I appreciate Tim Keller's perspective on the parable of the prodigal. How often we use that phrase to talk about a wayward child, but Keller reminds us that the prodigal is a God who lavishes his love and his grace and his mercy 
even when we don't deserve it. So let's take care. Let's take care with one another and one another's children. If I were to follow up just a bit from our announcement on February the 26th, we brought you into a few things that we're facing as a church where we are are no longer serving children under the age of middle school, uh, asking parents to keep them with them and maybe even times where we'll be in ministry together where the auditorium will be closed off from children being able to kind of enter or pass through in different ways. I want to just reiterate that children aren't a distraction to overcome. They're not an obstacle to the ministry that we're called to as a church. They're a part of it. They're the future of it. But I think that I would want to appeal even further, a bit further to parents, to families, to enter into conversations like what we're having as a church. Enter into those conversations in your own home. And and maybe ask questions like this. Are are we as mom and dad even on the same page regarding what our children are or aren't allowed to do when we're gathered together with the church? It's a very practical question. I wonder at times if we just don't overlook some of the most practical ways that we can set our children up for success and set ourselves up for success as moms and dads by just simply being on the same page. I often hear about conversations that go unresolved between parents on the right approach to parenting. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. We have to come to agreement, and if if you're not able to do so, we're here to help. I'm not perfect at it. I don't know any parent in here that would say that they are, but we're here to walk with you through it. Please be on the same page regarding your families being together. And and my concern is that we've just begun stating two different cases and not resolving it and leaving it as two stated cases. Now this may be a sore spot. This may be a point of contention in your house where not only are you not in agreement, you just have decided not to talk about it anymore. I never want to assume that everybody's on the same page. I'm not even saying I'm always right in these things. But I want you to know that we're here with you to talk through new changing seasons of training, equipping, of admonishment, of instruction from authority, even on the subject of discipline. I know that's not a popular word. I need to be disciplined. Our children need to be disciplined. Dads, These are conversations that would be wonderful for you to lead in your household. These are conversations that are important for you to lead in your household. Moms, these are conversations that are important for you to have input into in your household. Dads, listen to your wives. Wives, lean in to what your husband's perspective is. That's a biblical call. Perhaps another diagnostic can be, are we seeing good fruit from our parenting when we're with others? Are we seeing good fruit of our parenting when we are with others? Children can be a gift, but an overwhelming one. 
there almost seems to be no end to what can go right or wrong. Have you ever walked away from a circumstance and just say, I didn't see that coming? I've sat in an ER thinking that before. Children can be an overwhelming gift. I, I can recall at times where it almost seems as if in the midst of that overwhelming that we would, that Stephanie and I, even doing this same thing today, we will have to look at one another and say, what is the one thing that we are focused on right now? We can't address everything in this moment. What is the one thing that we are looking to work on? Maybe it's something like responding to authority. Maybe it's just responding in general. Maybe it's self-control in an area. Perhaps something about expectations when going out. The list can go on and on, but when we are not only together in parenting, but we are focusing on the same area, there can be so much good that comes out of that. As a church, we want to be committed to our families to continue to equip and care for your families when it comes to biblical perspectives on parenting. We have a lunch and learn coming up. I'm looking forward to that. This summer, Vacation Bible School will be happening, and we've actually changed the schedule of that to where Vacation Bible School will be happening at night. I know that's a bit unusual, but we're doing that, one, so that more dads can be a part of volunteering to, uh, to be a part of our uh, Vacation Bible School. Perhaps you work during the day, uh, moms and dads, and you can come and be a part of what we're actually doing. You can see Heather Melichamp to be a part of that. Registration's already online for this. But during that week, each night, Monday through Thursday, we are going to be taking time intentionally to work and equip parents each night as your children are in vacation Bible school. Those that are too young to participate will have child care for them as well. But we're going to have times each night that we will be equipping parents even as your children enjoy VBS. As I come to a close today, I just want to say this. When it comes to the subject of discipline, I, I know that that can be a difficult subject. It's one that can be difficult not only to work through but come to agreement on. What an appropriate level of discipline looks like. But might I offer a thought on that? I found these words recently offered by Al Mohler to capture some thoughts that I had well. He says this, we all know that even as we raise children, that there comes a moment when a child all of a sudden recognizes the capacity to obey or disobey. Isn't it amazing that they never have to be trained in that? They come to the moment where they realize they have the ability, the capacity to obey or disobey, and they give in to what might be called the thrill of disobedience. What follows that moment has everything to do with the parent's responsibility for this. Remove the thrill. Remove the thrill of disobedience. Even in doing so, you realize this. Discipline may take away the thrill, but it does not take away the knowledge that they have a choice to make. It's part of what it means to be fallen in our humanity, desperately, infinitely in need of the grace of God. And that's what God has shown us through Jesus Christ. In the midst of those moments, as you're working through discipline in whatever way, removing the thrill, what a wonderful opportunity to in introduce the good news of the gospel. 
that God shows us grace and mercy through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we come to the subject of parenting, would you turn over to Psalm 25? There's a phrase that we read in Psalm 127. This will be our closing prayer today. There's a phrase that we read in Psalm 127, and it certainly speaks of a protection that sons may offer in in, uh, ancient Jerusalem. In a day where that was a part of how you protected your house was the size of the household. It says that when he is speaking with enemies at the gate, that he will never be put to shame. That's an interesting turn of phrase in Scripture. He will never be put to shame. It's something that Paul references in Romans where he says that I am unashamed of the gospel. I will never be put to shame because of the gospel. But more than that, Solomon references his own father's words in saying he will never be put to shame. His own dad, David, penned these words as the worship team gathers to to join me. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble in his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenants and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. And his offering, offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. For he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me. For I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my, hair, of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait. Church, Jesus Christ, our waiting is over. We can find shelter under his wing. We can find shelter in him as a mighty refuge in our time of trouble. 
If there are failings in your parenting, you can turn to him. If there are longings for you to be released from the burden of guilt and shame in parenting, or if you have a problem with parenting, you can come to him, even as we were singing and rejoicing earlier. If you're declaring, I'm stuck, I'm out of solutions, you need Jesus. He is the one who does not hesitate to give that help. If you feel that you've failed others or even your own standards, feeling this kind of general sense of shame or a low self-worth, realize that the Bible releases you from the weight of that. As we turn to him and say, teach me and train me, O Lord, in your paths everlasting. In Jesus Christ, we have the best road trip song to sing of all. United and dependent on him, we will never be put to shame. So let's stand and rejoice together. And our hope is not found in our efforts. Our hope is in Christ.